Reconstructionist Radio presents a War Room production, Once Dead, where brothers and sisters in the faith share God's grace upon their lives, how they were once spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, but are now kingdom-driven by the grace of God so undeserved. My name is Jeffrey Fish, and I was once dead. I was born on January 22, 1973, the same day that Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court case, and Doe v. Bolton changed America forever. I grew up in a home that was chaotic. My mother and my father were raised in church, my father in the United Methodist Church, and my mother by a Pentecostal preacher. He was a farmer and a carpenter by trade, but he preached on the weekends in country churches around the state of Arkansas. My mom and my dad are both from Arkansas, down in southeast Arkansas around Dumas, and that place is like the Deep South. It is laden with racism and what I call American churchianity. As I said, my house was chaotic. My mom and my dad were both alcoholics. Uh, my dad dab dabbled in drugs. He was a, a boilermaker, a welder by trade. He was a union man, a Democrat to the core. And he told me I was a Democrat as well. He also told me I was a Christian. My mom and my dad had many troubles. They fought all the time. I did see them be loving on occasion, but mostly they fought. It was a very stressful environment in our home. My mom and dad were both the rebels of their family. My dad was the oldest of three, and my mom was the youngest of nine. They ran off and eloped and got married by the justice of the peace when she was very young, and my dad was a couple years older. His mom and dad would not honor that marriage, said that they must get married in the church and so force them to get married in the Methodist church. He moved to Chicago where he became a welder for the railroad and then became a boilermaker and joined the union and moved to Denver, Colorado in about 1970. I remember my mom told me that she was pregnant and had cancer, had um, cervical cancer, and went to a doctor for treatment or something, but she left there without the baby. They aborted the baby um, against my mother's will. They told her it was best. So I believe that was a baby girl. My mom and my dad, like I said, they fought a lot. My dad had affairs.
He got a woman pregnant. He paid for an abortion. I have two older brothers. My middle brother was a lot like my dad, kind of rebellious. Um, my dad took the brunt of his frustrations out on that brother while leaving the oldest and myself alone for the most part. I'm seven years younger than my middle brother and we fought like cats and dogs. We didn't know what normal was right, was like if we weren't fighting. I went to public school. We rarely went to church. When we did go to church, it would be generally in the summers when we would go on vacation to Arkansas to visit family. And there I would go to both the Methodist Church and the Assembly of God Church where my mom's family went. I remember going to vacation Bible school and I don't remember particularly anything about it. I don't remember learning anything. I don't remember taking something from there and applying it to my life. I always believed in God. But I... The God I knew was just all loving, and he did frown upon sin, but he forgave all sin. Jesus died for our sins, and I banked on that. Back in Colorado, if we went to church, it was at my mom's choice of Assembly of God churches. I remember as a young boy seeing all the people go down to the altar to pray, and they were laying hands on each other, and I didn't really know what was going on, but they looked like they were getting attention, and I wanted that, and I remember asking my mom, could I go down and and, and ha experience that, and she kind of started crying. She thought that I was understanding what was going on, and I went down and knelt down at the altar and prayed. I don't remember asking Jesus to come into my heart or anything like that. But my mom really thought it was significant. I was a boy that got into much trouble. My mom and my dad gave me a lot of freedom. I was able to roam around Denver, Colorado at, an, at a young age. I could leave the house in the morning and say I'm going to my friend's house and not be back until dark. And we would go hop on a public bus and go all the way across Denver at eight and nine years old. I would go to the malls and I would go into the stores and steal things, Star Wars, toys and things like that and candy. And I did that for pleasure. I also vandalized things. I, I would go out at night after dark and curfew, I would say I'm staying the night at a friend's house, and he would say that he's staying a night, staying the night at a friend's house, and we would escape out into the dark and go do horrible things. Wasn't much oversight. My mom had to work because my dad was gone on construction jobs all the time, and she stayed stressed out, and she partied on the weekends, and and I would have to hang out with my brothers and go to their friend's house if they had parties 
I remember there were always boys and girls getting together and there was also Ouija boards and dark music and and I was drawn by that. We experienced evil in our home due to the drugs and the the lifestyle that we were living. We had horrible things that would happen, even supernatural things that we witnessed. So I grew up believing in the supernatural. I was drawn to it, but it was I was drawn to the dark part of it. And I always believed in God. But I didn't trust in Him. I, but I was always aware of His presence. My mom and my dad divorced when I was 11. And my mom moved me and my brothers down to Arkansas where we moved in with my mom's sister. Life got a little better. It wasn't as stressful. But there were new stresses. Getting to know new people, making new friends, a brand new environment. I didn't change. I continued to get in trouble stealing. When I was 13, I was arrested on my first visit back to Colorado. I was arrested for curfew violation, for breaking and entering, for trespassing and burglary, all on the same night. I spent the night in jail my very first day back to visit my friends and my father in Colorado. That changed me. That ended my stealing. It scared me. I spent a night in jail listening to the police officers preach their sermon of, You better get right, boy. You're going to be in prison. I didn't want that. I never told my mom. My dad told me not to. And when I was 18, it was taken off my record anyway. Because my brothers were always very interested in girls, I was as well. And as I got a little bit older and I was a young teenager, that's all I could think about were girls and being with them. I found my dad's pornographic magazines that my brothers had stolen from him. I wasn't really drawn to the pictures, but I was drawn to the stories because that was real. I could lose myself in them. I got involved in music. I was a tuba player through um, elementary school, middle school, high school. I was also into track and other various sports. I liked to hunt and fish. I was an average student, or a little above average, but nothing miraculous. I kept my nose clean for the most part. I had some decent friends in my uh, teenage years, and my worst activities were just going out and shooting animals. And If I didn't want to keep them, I would just throw them out. It's horrible. When I was 15, I had my first serious girlfriend. She had had a rollover accident during the summer and, and didn't show up for school. And I'd been going to school with her since the seventh grade. And we had expressed an interest in each other, or she had me. And uh, when she didn't show up for school, 
I was concerned about her. And finally, about two months into the school year, she showed up. And she had recovered from her injuries. And um, she took me home from school. And in my driveway, we had our first kiss. And we started dating very seriously. She later became my wife. We dated off and on for about three years. We had taken a break. My mom had remarried a police officer who was 11 years younger than her. And that didn't last but about five years. And I moved again on my senior year about 45 miles away from where my girlfriend, my now wife, lived. And so we had split apart then. I kept my nose clean for the most part during my senior year playing music. I was heavy into the competitions and um, ended up becoming, you know, the the best tuba player in the state, which wasn't a great accomplishment. It was, it was Arkansas. I was a big fish in a little pond, no pun intended. But that was my interest. I wanted to become a band director, wanted to play music for a living, and I was obsessed with that and with running and girls. And so I, I was always trying to be with girls, but I was a nice enough guy where when the opportunities arose, I would chicken out and I would just wind up being their friend. I think that that was another way God was protecting me. At the end of my senior year, at this point I still was not really mindful of God. He wasn't a central part of my life. I was aware of his existence. I believed in him. I knew Jesus was part of the picture somehow. But I was not living for him. I was not attending a good church. I did go to a Methodist church, the one that my grandmother and my grandfather and my dad belonged to just because I wanted to sing in the choir, and there were pretty girls that went there. But I wasn't there for the right reasons, and I don't ever remember hearing a good gospel message or anything that stirred me into action um, at that church. At the end of that year, I was able to go on a music trip to Europe. In this, this trip, we were music ambassadors, and we traveled across seven countries over 21 days. And I had had a, a full-ride scholarship at a school in Mississippi that was a premier um, music school. You could get music education degree or a performance degree there. It was very good, and it was close to my home. And I also had the choice to go to... Oklahoma University in Norman, Oklahoma. I had a full ride there, though I didn't even apply, but they just automatically give a scholarship to any students that, you know, were the best on their instrument in the neighboring states. Well, I chose to go to the Mississippi school, and I was going to major in music education and performance, but this trip to Europe changed everything I experienced what performing music was like in that environment in Europe where they really appreciate music and the finer things rather than Americans 
they're more theater-driven or symphony-driven, whereas Germany and Switzerland, they like the little town bands, and that really appealed to me. So as soon as I came back from that trip, I called up the Army recruiter and told him that if he could get me in, I would sign up for the Army band. Well, that worked out. I auditioned, and I made it, and I went away to basic training after a semester of college, which my only goal was to be with women. At that time, my now wife, when we were just dating, we were living as married and not honoring the Lord. She was more religious than I was, and I had not been with her in that way out of respect for her beliefs and for her parents. I didn't want to disappoint them, but we had become sexually active at that point. And after going into the, or right before going into the military, I, I proposed to her and she agreed. And within the first year of being in the military, we married. And um, our first duty assignment was Fort Riley, Kansas, the 1st Infantry Division Band. And I was there for four years. That was the first time in my life where someone actually started sharing truth with me. There was an an older uh, sergeant in the in my unit. He was a drummer. He was a very good soldier. He was a very good musician. He had credibility. He was respected and well liked. And I wanted to be like him. And he was also a Christian. And so, in order to get close to him. I naturally just started finding out how I could spend time with him, and that was going to his home for Bible studies or going out on long runs with him. And he would challenge me. He would give me, he would share the truth with me just un, unashamed. And we would memorize scriptures together, and, and it, it was interesting. I wasn't as interested in learning these things as I was just being close to him because he was well liked and I liked him. And so he continued to press me on that, but that's when it's, it started to kind of sink in about the reality of God. My sin continued. I continued to be a bad husband. We were using birth control for the first seven years of our marriage. We didn't want kids. We were living for ourselves. I was a bad husband. I was very self-centered. I was basically married to my job and to um, my friends. I spent almost all of my free time with my friends and completely neglecting my wife. Well, we, we got stationed in Germany. And over there, it was like a big soap opera. The drinking and everybody in my unit... They were having affairs or sleeping with a different person all the time. And um, being in a ceremonial unit, we traveled all across Europe playing music for different dignitaries and different events. And and, um, and everywhere you went, there was alcohol. And I partook, and I would always try to find somebody to be with when I was on the road, but I was never successful. I think another way that God was protecting me. By this time, I'd already had... Once in Arkansas um, with a high school friend, 
and once with a soldier in Germany before my wife got there, I had had a one-night stand with two different women, and I kept that secret from my wife. But everywhere we went, traveling across Europe, I tried, but I still could not. I was not successful. And eventually, things got so bad in my marriage that uh, I did not want to be married any longer, but I was too chicken to divorce her. And I sought to have a, a relationship outside the marriage, a long-term one. I wanted to find a friend. I wanted to find a beautiful woman that I could have a long affair with. and I just wanted to escape reality. I found a woman that was also in a similar situation and we took advantage of that and we had a three month long affair and I broke it off I had a friend, a Christian friend that actually was challenging me to stop the affair or he could no longer be my friend it was my best friend and that kind of shook me but then I started lying to him and continued the affair but about three and a half months or three months into it, I ended the relationship, and about two weeks later, the husband of the woman called and said, Hello, Dad. She was pregnant, and we knew it was mine because she was not with him for those three months, and they told me that I offered to get an abortion or pay for an abortion for them. I don't remember saying that, but it's not beyond me at that point in my life, as self-centered as I was. But I, I did know that I needed to tell my wife, and we had discussed how wrong what we were doing was in the eyes of God, and we both were acknowledging God, strangely enough, me and the other woman, and that we needed to get right, but we felt powerless to do it. We talked openly about that. It was like a drug. The excitement of not getting caught and just losing ourselves in a new relationship. Being able to live separate lives. Well, after we found out that she was pregnant, I knew that I needed to tell my wife. We had been going to church at the, um, the army chapel for a while and we had been going to counseling to a an assembly of God chaplain and I had lied to him I told him I was a Christian and you know I think he saw through me and when I found out that she was pregnant he was the first person I called I went over to another friend's house and called him and told him what had happened and he told me he knew that I wasn't right with God and he told me that no matter what happened I needed to get right with God and it was like it was like God speaking himself I knew that no matter what happened I knew that I was wrong with God I wasn't right with him I and I knew that that was the only answer I needed to make myself right with him for a change I hated who I was I hated lying all the time I'd, I'd been a liar my whole life I'd manipulated people I'd lied to my mom my whole life I was never truthful with her I told her I was always doing good and she believed me I was I guess that good of a liar and a manipulator and I just hated who I was I, I, I had been fake I had certain lies that I had told my whole life to 
to the point where I believed them. I thought they were true. That's what compulsive liars do. They tell them over and over and they get used to the the story and the emotions that they and, and, and everybody believes them. And I didn't want to be that anymore. I wanted to finally just feel clean for once in my life. And I wanted to stay that way. And I knew I knew that, that God was real. I, I knew that one day I was going to face Him. I had, even as, a, as an unsaved man, I had prayed to Him, but prayed to Him for selfish things like more women and just that He would allow me to have fun for a while and then later I would get right with Him, however it was. But when that phone call to the chaplain happened and he told me I needed to get right, my eyes were opened and for the first time I knew what life was going to be like I, I felt clean I had hope I knew that I was going to live for him and I knew it was for Jesus and I didn't know how all this was going to work but I, I also knew that I was going to be able to find the answers in the Bible and I had one and immediately this was on a Friday, I remember. I think it was, I think it was October first, nineteen ninety-seven, and I, I went and found that Bible. And all weekend, I read that Bible. I started in the New Testament, at the Gospels, and I read most of the New Testament that weekend. And just, I was praying, and I felt clean, and I don't even remember my wife's reactions, but. I just felt clean. I felt new. I felt like a new person. And knowing what I know now, I know what happened to me. I was made new. I had a new heart. I had repented. And I knew I was forgiven and I was going to live for Him. But I still had this hanging over my head that I had to confess to my wife. And that Monday, I had it set up in our counseling appointment to confess to her what I had done and to beg her forgiveness and but no matter what I was still going to live for Jesus well the woman that was pregnant with my child she was a friend of my wife we were both betraying her deeply and she called her and told her before I could tell her and it and it ruined everything. It, it, I was scared that my wife was going to hurt herself. That's why we wanted to do it in a controlled environment. But God spared her. She she didn't hurt herself. She forgave me. It wasn't easy. She was just devastated. But she did. She told me that she forgave me and she's going going to stay with me. Not too long after that, we got pregnant, and we found out we were going to have a little girl, and it and it was it was the glue. We started living for God, though we were babes in Christ, and and she she had already repented and was reading her Bible and praying and and. Um, and, and we so we were just babes. The people that were surrounding us were Pentecostals, and they loved us, and they had credibility in our eyes. And we started fellowshipping with them, and listening to their preachers, and and um, doing the things that they were doing, and 
and um, we had separated from the other couple, the woman pregnant with my child, and they wanted to save their marriage. They wanted to raise the baby on their own, and that set suited my wife well. And so we lived separately without staying in touch with each other. It was hard knowing that I had a child out there. But we had Jesus, and now we were going to church. We weren't really doing anything other than just going to church and learning and reading the Bible and, and things like that. And we had our problems. I mean, adultery can devastate a person. It can ruin so many things. It's such a deep betrayal. And though I felt clean and I felt new and forgiven, my wife now is having to deal with this horrible pain of, of betrayal and hurt. And that, that makes her wonder what kind of God would allow something like this to happen. Well, he gave her grace. She accepted it and, and did the best she could. And when our daughter was born, we found out that she had Down syndrome and and it was so devastating to my wife because she had made this connection with this baby inside of her and had all these visions of her and, you know, had had this picture of what she was going to look like. And, and then when she came out, she was nearly dead. And she was, you know, blue and floppy and um, she wasn't breathing and... We didn't know what was going to happen, and on top of that, they're telling her that, telling us that she has Down syndrome, and so there's a story about, you know, you get on a ship and you you think you're going to go to Hawaii, and you've got all these expectations of what it looks like, and you get off the ship, and they say, "Welcome to the Netherlands." That's kind of how it was for my wife. For me, it wasn't so difficult. I had this new faith, and I was like, "God, this is your will." We will make it. We'll be okay. So we didn't get to... My wife didn't get to see our daughter for the first three days other than just in the incubator for a few minutes and then they, they life-flighted her away. And that was um, that was something that brought us together. We went through this very difficult situation and, and it's just like God to do that to ordained suffering and, and all that to bring you together, to bring you closer to Him. That was a challenging time in our life. And it was so challenging that we decided to get out of the military, to go be near family, to have help with our new daughter. And I wanted to become a police officer. And I was really into the Left Behind series. I, I was all into that. I read almost every one of those and, and I, I really, prophecy really gripped me. Um, so I studied that a lot and I, I studied a lot about creation and evolution and, you know, God's just slowly leading me into deeper things and, and, uh, we moved to Colorado and I, uh, I tried to get on with the Colorado State Patrol. I almost got on, didn't make it the first time, and so I decided to put myself through the police academy. Um, went through that. I eventually got hired on with the sheriff's department, and I was a road deputy for a short time. And it was a very corrupt department, and 
I ended up, they, they told me that, look, you don't really fit in here. I was like, are you kidding me? No, I don't. And so they, they let me go. It wasn't, I didn't get fired. It was, I didn't get deputized. And, and so I went through the whole training process and they said, you're just not a good fit. So it was devastating. You know, it's rejection, but it was also a relief too. And, you know, I'm where I'm at today because of all of these things. And I can see the hand of God looking back. You see God's hand of providence and everything. Well, during that time, 9-11 took place. And so this was 2001. The next year I got hired on by the Transportation Security Administration as one of the airport screeners. And I was able to continue on with my federal service. And um, that's what interested me. But that's what took us so many different places. We started out in western Colorado. We were attending little Bible churches there that were, the pastors were all like graduates of the master seminary. And so we were, we had moved on from, from like Pentecostalism to now like just, I don't even know how to classify it, just Bible churches. And, um, I was a MacArthurite basically. We moved to Tulsa. We got involved with, um, some good Bible churches out there. We weren't really doing anything. We just attended church. We went to all the different fellowships and we just really thought that's what Christian life was like. We weren't really called the missions. We were called to like study and know things. And so I ended up getting a new job with the TSA and I was able to transfer back to Colorado. And now I'm in Colorado Springs and, and I, I continued to go to these um, Bible churches where the pastors were all graduates of the master seminary. And, you know, I, I felt like I'd arrived. And strangely enough, working at the airport, I met a guy who was a, who pushed wheelchairs for a living. And he was a, a sky cap and he was a Christian and we hit it off really well. And, he said, you know, with your job, you, you, you're constantly going up to people and talking to them and having to start these conversations. And he says, you're really good at it. Have you ever heard of way of the master? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I don't know about that. And I had been presented the way of the master once before by a pastor and uh, he was going to the local college and videotaping his interviews with people and showing us on Sundays and I thought, you know, that's not really me. That's good. It's for him, but I, I just can't do that. That's, uh, it's, uh, it makes me uncomfortable. I remember thinking all that and saying that. And, uh, now he's challenging me about it. And I'm like, you think I'd be good at that? I said, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I've never, I've never like shared my faith with people. I, I study evolution and creation and apologetics and cults and things like that, but, I, I've never really shared my faith. I talk about Jesus with people, but I, my biggest thing is to get them to church so the pastor can preach the gospel to them and maybe they'll get saved. And so he says, yeah, you ought to try it. I mean, you can buy this. There's a kit for about a hundred dollars that has videos and books and gospel tracks and it's, it's all together. So I went home and I started watching every video I could on YouTube about Ray Comfort and Kurt Cameron and Way of the Master and I got hooked and I immediately came to work the next day and started practicing on all the people who worked in the airport, the different shops and and it was it was exhilarating and I I felt like how come I haven't been doing this ever? I've never shared my faith with people and this is 
you're actually showing them their need for a savior. The reason why they need a savior is because they've broken God's law. And I was excited for a change. And it was, it was amazing. And I, and I started going out on the streets with a group from our church and, and, uh, ended up going to the, the Super Bowl outreach down in New Orleans. And, and by that time, the election in 2012 had taken place. And I had gone through this process of saying I wouldn't vote for a Mormon. I wouldn't vote for a Catholic. And here I was. I was faced with voting for a Mormon. And I found out that he was like pro-choice. And I was like, that was my first thing on a litmus test was you got to be pro-life. And and so Mitt Romney said he was pro-life. And, and then I found out there was this whole other world like pro-life didn't necessarily mean pro-life it was pro-life with exceptions and all that and that it kind of sickened me and so i couldn't vote for him and i got on facebook for the first time opened up an account that year and i started seeing all these different ideas and all this theology and these street preachers and there were these people called abolitionists and it's like what is that and i got involved in that i i saw that there was it was like real christianity like people living out their faith, going to these these wicked places, going out on the streets and going to the bar districts and going to strip clubs and preaching the gospel and going to abortion clinics and preaching the gospel there and rescuing babies and helping women. And they were like, this was like new Christianity to me. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not doing any of this stuff. I'm like, I might be handing out gospel tracts and things, but I'm not, I'm not like doing that. And so I started studying and getting involved in it. My goodness, I couldn't believe what Christianity, what the difference was in America between like this real Christianity and the fake stuff that I'd been involved in, just being a pew warmer and attending all these events and just fellowshipping and becoming a fellowship glutton. And now I'm an abolitionist and, and I see the difference. God's opened my eyes. And he's brought our family together. We've been married 23 years now. I have, I have three daughters and I have a son and, and, and God's just been so good to us. He's, he's preserved our marriage. We're, we're not perfect and I'm not perfect. I'm repenting of things as I, as I come to know them and, and, I, and but he's, he's kept us together and he's been faithful and, you know, I don't, I don't label myself by any, any kind of, theological label and I'm, I'm just a christian i'm an abolitionist and and i just want to serve the lord and i'm so grateful for this path that i've been on I'm so grateful and i and i want to share it with people and i get in trouble at work all the time for it and i love it i thank you for listening i thank you for hearing my story i know i ramble I hope you can hear my heart in this and I, and I hope it, I hope it speaks to somebody. You know, once I was dead, but now by the grace of God, I am kingdom driven. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now to your favorite shows on iTunes. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com, 
to volunteer as a narrator, or to partner financially with this ministry. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.